Welcome to Remainders, where we bring the video store to you. My name is Patrick. With me is the multi-talented Darren Burrell. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Great to hear your voice. Uh, it's been about two weeks, and I'm sorry we took last week off, but uh, I'm I'm ready to go. I, I can't wait to talk about this insanely uh, <laughs> depressing, at times, movie by Paul Schrader. So I think that's where we're going to get into it because, man, this is not a depressing movie at all, even though it has heavy, heavy foot uh, subject matter. So, uh, yeah, yeah, heavy we, is um, the word, right? Heavy is definitely ooh, the word. Under, uh, man, it's sound is short, actually. But yes, we are watching uh, the 2017 uh, Paul Schrader film First Reform with Ethan Hawke. Uh, to give you a little synopsis, Hawke plays Reverend Toller, who tries to help an environmental activist and his pregnant wife. Uh, the man questions whether it's moral to bring a child into a dying world and wants his wife to have an abortion. Hawk claims despair is part of life. And this triggers two events uh, that uh, really sets up this movie. First, the man commits suicide, leaving Amanda Seyfried pregnant and alone. So they're already pretty dark, pretty early. And second, it leaves Hawk, uh, Hawk and his hope and faith deeply damaged. Uh, and the rest of the film is kind of like a spiral into despair as his character learns more about the climate catastrophes that the world is facing and whether or not the future, uh, as a reverend, uh, deserves any hope. So basically, the way kind of I see this movie is an environmental awakening turned into spiritual doom. So, yes, this sounds pretty heavy, but this is definitely the character study that I uh, really love to get into. So I'm excited. Uh, you had not seen this movie before. I had never seen this movie before, and as per usual, I always love that you bring things to my door that I don't think I would have explored um, had you not. And, okay. you know, it's funny because I, I was just reading a lot about Paul Schrader in that Tarantino book. So it was nice to be able to kind of like pivot to what he's been up to lately. Um, and, you know, as you start to get into this film, you can't help but think about Taxi Driver, right? You, you know, you're like, oh, shit, like is, this is like maybe... It's Travis Bickle, but in a different way. You know what I mean? It's like it's not it's not the same, but it is the same. If that makes sense. Oh, I mean, totally. so I kind of see this. Uh, it's by no means any trilogy, but just in my mind, I have a lot of connections between Taxi Driver, uh, Bringing Out the Dead, which we watched before, which is a Paul Schrader script, and uh, this one, uh, First Reform. I mean, it really does get into the. Uh, I mean, they all basically journal first-person narratives of these characters slowly going insane, and it's all obviously Paul Schrader is the through line. He wrote the scripts of the first two, and then wrote the script for First Reform and directed it. Um, and those three movies are really kind of connected, um, which is again we've talked about the other two quite a bit on this uh, podcast. So it's probably excited to get into this one. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you say that. Um, you do get to get into the character's mind in all of these films based on some voiceover and things like that. So a lot of what you're experiencing as an audience member, um, not necessarily everybody in the film is is understanding about the character in, as it plays out. And, and only us, you know, we only get to go into his mind, which is an interesting way to tell a story. Um, I've heard it in the past been talked about that, like, if you use voice, I don't even know where this came from, but if you use voiceover, it's kind of like, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's, it's like a uh, that's, cop that, that was Brian Cox in Adaptation. That's right. Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a cop and God out, help yeah. me if you're using voiceover. Just go fuck off. <laughs> that's exactly where yeah. it's coming from. And which, that's a nice, nice little homage to Brian Cox because I've been watching Succession, which is 
formidable. Okay, we don't have to get into it too much. I'm, I have I've been sa- I've been banking up season four and to binge that, uh, and that would be ending soon. So I'm looking forward for a, a full weekend of that one to catch up. Yeah, just stay offline if you don't want anything spoiled. That's all I'll tell you right now. I got one spoiler. I already saw one spoiler. We're not going to talk about it, but like uh, that part, I did see. So I don't know how far up. Oh, I'm 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 right there. Right in there. Okay, so we'll, we'll yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, and we'll talk about that another time. Um, yes, um, yeah. So like, I mean, Scorsese is like a perfect example of why that's not actually true at all. It's like, I mean, you just watch Goodfellas. It's like voiceover is absolutely like a huge reason why. Uh, like something like that or casino works so well so and we love that yeah we. i think it is it is like it's it's kind of one of those things like it works uh when it works it really works but then when it doesn't it's the worst thing in the world so it's like you really have to only use it if you like are confident with it that it's going to add right because even the middle ground it sucks you know what i mean It it just doesn't it falls flat and it's also like kind of in film history it's been like a way to redo movies i know blade runner was an example of that where they did not like the original cut so they like added over voice over and one of that movie has like multiple cuts uh, but one of the second cuts to make it more palatable to like general audiences was to just add it over voice over so people kind of are uh, able to follow along a little bit more so it's, mm. it's also kind of like a, a producer's tool to like uh, make something more uh, uh tie the room together marketable. a bit right, yeah exactly but i mean yeah so i love a good journal like I'm all about like when a character is just uh, uh, nailing away at his journal the whole time and you kind of uh, you get a sense the best ones you get a sense of like whether or not they're even being honest to themselves which is what I love about it so he he says that in the beginning and that's the nice thing about it is that the audience here is right away like I'm going to be as honest as I can be in this journal because like what you know it's a human it's almost like that you're he says I forget exactly the right words that he says but he says something about the fact that like you, you, you know, what's the point of doing this if you're going to lie to yourself? You have to put down all the truths into this journal. And then he's going to burn the book at the end of the, the year that he writes it, right? Um, so we're getting this, like, really, really streamlined insight from this guy's brain into what he's thinking and what he's feeling in this sort of small-town environment um, that, he's t- that he's looking after because it's this old church and it's – looked at more as like a tourist location now because it used to be housed uh it would house slaves during um uh the civil war and it's really really old so a lot of people like to go there and like see it just as like an attraction rather than an actual place to to go and worship um and you see a lot of scenes where he's talking to basically nobody in the uh you know in the in the congregation yeah i mean so i mean this is the kind of the day-to-day life that he's already uh experiencing so this is going to be like a spoiler heavy podcast uh i think it's fair to kind of just put that up front because there's a lot of a lot of stuff in here that i wanted would love to dig into deep and uh if we're not doing spoilers i'm thinking it's basically for so um he lost his his son um uh in in um in war and so this is he's only alluded to it a couple times uh firstly with that first conversation with uh michael is the man uh mayor dead man to Seyfried. Um, who he has that pretty deep conversation with early on, like that really sets the tone for this movie in terms of like this man coming to him, like this, this is what's going on with the world uh, with climate change. And this is why I believe it's like uh, everything's fucked. Um, And Hawk is just kind of put in that position of um, what am I supposed to say to a person who's uh, kind of already given up hope 
uh, with like almost like scientific uh, irrefutable facts, like showing like this is a reason to give up hope. And and that's what I love about like how it just sets up for this character. It's like this man was already like facing his his own battles, his own internal struggles, losing his son, and because he's in this position of um, not necessarily authority, but just um, uh, solace. He's supposed to be the source of, of hope for so many people and he can't even find it himself. Right. Yeah. Uh, was it the Iraq war that they talk about? He lost his son in, uh, I think. That's yeah. That's on. Yeah. Yeah. It would, that, that timing would have uh, worked out because it was like, uh, his son was like a young man at the time. So, yeah. And this is, um, 2017. And I believe that the movie plays out in the exact same year that it was shot. Um, and we're talking about the priest character here. His name is Ernst Toller. Is that right? Ernst Toller? Reverend, yep. Reverend Toller. And he's played by, uh, and it, it like probably one of my favorite performances of Ethan Hawke's, um, and I'm surprised more and more as I see films of his, how much I do like him. I wasn't really like, you know, you don't just like, don't really think of him as like your favorite actor, but the more and more I see him in things, I realize he's got a great range and he also knows how to hold things back and he knows how to react really well. Um, there's some great moments with that, especially when he's talking to people and his expressions on his face. And I think this was a really good, um, maybe a really good role to challenge him in, uh, in his later career here. And I really like the fact that he was chosen for that. Um, some really, truly like um, off-putting, but like interesting scenes between him and Amanda Seyfried too, like those connection scenes. Um, and then, you know, kind of taking them away to this like journey. And then it turns from like beautiful forest stuff to like tires in a, in a yard. Um, these characters are brought together because of something tragic that happened to her husband. But it's not like Ethan Hawke's character didn't already sympathize or empathize with people who are with this cause of um, saving the planet, you know? Um, maybe not, he wasn't set to be as extreme as they were in the beginning, but as the movie goes on, he starts to realize the more and more corruption in the world that's hard to ignore even within his own church right and yeah. so as he starts to realize that that there's people that don't care within his church that that own um basically his livelihood he starts to go off the rails a little bit and his drinking increases and he's getting to the point where whatever's wrong with him has to be checked out he has to go and and figure it out and that adds to the hopelessness. Um, oh, well, maybe I'm dying of cancer now. Like, they never really tell you that he is, but he's got this in his head. And so that's just, it's all spiraling as the movie. And they do a nice job of, like, really uh, moving the beat along that way. Because in the beginning, you know, you see this, like, you know, this priest who you, who you like. Um, and he is a likable character, even through the end when he's doing some crazy things that we'll talk about. Um but you do sympathize with him. Actually, you sympathize with all the characters, sort of like you can be in that position in life where there's people that won't listen to you about things that you believe matter and that are actually very detrimental to like our livelihood as a human race, you know, but nobody's listening. Nobody will hear you. And so I think that that adds to the helplessness, the hopelessness. And that's ultimately probably why 
uh, Amanda Seyfried's um, husband kills himself. You know, he just feels like uh, this. There's nobody that can help me here. It's all fucked, and there's no way out. I don't even want to bring a baby into this world. You know, and that's how this all starts because he doesn't want to bring a baby into the world. Hope or despair. I mean, that's like the through line of this entire movie. So, yeah, a lot there. Love all those points. Um, maybe kind of working backwards. I mean, I saw an interview with Schrader talking about it um, and how that question that you just said, like whether or not it's moral to bring a child into a world where that may or may not be, you know, uh, the most uh, habitable place in the future, whether or not that's moral. That's not a question that anybody was asking before, like 20, 25 years ago. And so that's completely new to like our generation as we uh, mature, you know, you and me less so than other people. But uh, as we get older uh, and, and looking to have children, it's whether or not that's going to be a, uh, a moral choice for everybody. And so, um, and I just, I love that that's why there's going to be kind of a movie that's going to be, um, I think certainly revisited multiple times in the coming decades. And it's like, so this is like what we said, 2017, it's already kind of uh, has like a different uh, tone to it, like revisiting now only uh, several years later uh, than it did in uh, the mid to late 2000s. Uh, we, we just went through the COVID pandemic. So that just already adds uh, that much to it. So. Um, I mean, yeah, and just it, like, if you think about the previous president, um, and all of the, th all of the things that was cut out, you know, for funding and different things for, um, park natural, you know, parks and, and different things. And, um, you know, the way that the planet operates and the way that we're trying to help the planet, a lot of where those things were rolled back. Um, so this is, takes place during that time. I, I right. don't know, Schrader, Schrader must've written this before all that, but still, you know, that was kind of timely for this film to come out during that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, I mean, the existential dread of the 2010s is kind of how I kind of saw it is in trying to capture that. So um, maybe going back to the performances. Yeah. So we saw uh, Cedric, the entertainer who's actually great. He's like the head reverend of the church and he's kind of the connection to like the big corporations that are you know, doing all the polluting that uh, Ethan Ock is kind of discovering that his church is like bankrolled by and so that really just kind of pushes him uh, to keep on kind of having these uh, actions that he realizes are like, ex he doesn't think they're extreme at all, but like they are not um, uh, making the corporations happy. He, so he basically plays like a, a, a anti-corporation um, uh, protest song from Neil Young at the man's funeral uh, at uh, Amanda Seyfried's uh, Oh, And it turns out that this was just like a total... Um, uh, slap in the face of the corporation bankrolling the First Reformed Church. And so this just adds into like the bureaucratic and the uh, corporate uh, uh, aggravations that he's experiencing. Um, that adds to a nice scene, if you don't mind me cutting in. Yeah, where there, you know, he, I think that's where Ethan Hawke finally realizes, yeah, like yeah. There, everyone here has a different agenda than I do. And mm, he asked like for the first time, I believe in that scene, you know, will God forgive us? And a lot of times it's like, okay, well, like all these decisions are being made, but like, when, when is God part of like the decision making process, you know? Um, that's like a discussion within itself, you know, uh, uh, the separation of church and state and all those kind of things. And um, it, yeah, like such a weird, tangled, twisted web 
always comes from religion and it's always supposed to be such a positive thing, but um, it adds more problems a lot of times in, you know, what we do here on this planet. <laughs> That's definitely an understatement. Uh, definitely yeah. <laughs> get behind that for sure. Um, and so we, and, and the spiraling just kind of continues. I mean, so he discovers a suicide vest uh, in Michael's uh, garage and then he saved his husband. Um, and this was a um, homemade suicide vest um, that was potentially possibly going to be used by the environmental activists. And this just really just uh, puts him in uh, a whole nother um, world that he probably, I'm assuming, never would have thought he would be in. But he's like viewing uh, online uh, videos of what that, that means to commit a suicide bombing. Um, and the closer he gets to the corporate interests with his bank, uh, or with his uh, church, I'm sorry. Um, so there's the 250th anniversary coming up. And that begins his uh, contemplation of whether or not um, violence is a, is a solution. And as he kind of strays farther away from hope and in despair, it becomes a more viable option for him. And I think at this point, it's good to mention that there's something going on with uh, the connection that he feels towards Amanda Seyfried. Maybe, maybe that's how he felt, I don't know, with his wife, uh, you know, or something. Maybe he feels like he needed to like right some wrong that happened there, you know, connecting with his son. But so there's something between him and her where he kind of wants to save her or he wants to look out for her. And that's a good point to talk about now. Um, the reason that he has a laptop and I didn't even really realize this watching it. Cause I was kind of like, why does his laptop have like a polar bear? That's like, you know, gaunt and, you know, on a, seemingly hopeless like you know journey <laughs> i'm like why does why why does the reverend have that but then i realized as i was re reading up on this that he had taken that laptop from it's michael right that the, yeah. the guy who committed suicide he took it from michael so that amanda wouldn't have to go through all of the craziness of like the cops finding the laptop and finding out that he was kind of a conspiracy theorist or whatever they were gonna right. you know make up about him so he's learning all of these things especially about the it's called balk i think uh, is the name of the company that owns the first reformed church his church and that they're part of this whole uh you know environmentalist uh espionage issue issues that are going on and he finds out all of that through this laptop that he had secured from amanda seafried's husband so this is while his drinking is increasing so he's dipping what is he uses whiskey as like uh yeah no, it's like bread or something i yeah, yeah i couldn't see so it so it's it's the, it's dipping in the bread so this definitely has um references to this movie diary of a country priest uh by Bersan. Hmm. um uh largely a lot of connections journaling during a crisis of faith um in that movie the priest is um the only thing he can eat because of his stomach condition is bread dipped in wine so it's like a total connection to there. This it just happened to be this movie I saw in this uh, film class uh, about five or six years ago. Uh, otherwise, we'll never come across it. It was like right before the movie came out. So it was a, a total revelation when I saw that happening at the time. And um, and then he gets a diagnosis, as you mentioned earlier. And this is just kind of uh, where he is uh, getting to, you know, it's not really a tipping point because he kind of keeps his composure um the yeah. entire time there's no until the very end 
which we'll definitely get to. I absolutely fucking love it. Um, he, there is no, um, he shows no signs of real stress. Like he's calm, cool and collected whenever he's uh, kind of like contemplating with uh, violence uh, either to himself or to others. And it's, 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 that, that's where the journal comes in. Is that Well, and this like, is where he's no De Niro, you know, I mean, this is where the difference between those characters are, because I believe, yeah, and I haven't yeah. seen Taxi Driver in a while, Ta- you know, he's not drinking. I don't think Travis Bickle drinks at all. I, for the most part, he was pretty straight laced, if I can yeah. remember. Um, but he did show signs of like being pretty unhinged. Um right. I don't see that at all from Ethan Hawke's character, even though, like I said, they're very similar in the way that they're kind of like unraveling as the story goes on for their own specific reasons. But the other thing about the, like the alcoholism and stuff like that, like uh, he kind of gets into some conversations with Cedric, the entertainer about it. Like, Hey, you know, you got to cool out on that. Like, and and seemingly everybody knows there's something wrong and they know about, you know, that he's sick. Uh, But at the same time, like, yeah, he's not showing any of that. And also, like, if he's an alcoholic, like, even the audience members don't really think that. You know, they see him drinking alone and all that stuff, but it doesn't look like he's drinking a lot. And you don't see him out of control. Uh, he wakes up the next morning. He's doing his job. He doesn't look hungover. He, they, there's no signs of him, like, in his own vomit, you know. like they, There's no scenes like that in this film. So it's kind of an interesting way. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but, uh, yeah. I, I I did read that like maybe Schrader is leaving a lot up to the uh, um, interpretation here in this film, and maybe that's one of them. Like, is he really like an alcoholic, or is that just like society saying like, oh, you, you know, a priest can't have any wine, can't do anything, you know, can't have a real life, can't you know, can't be normal. You got to be as like focused as you can to help people. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think the majority of the movie is definitely left up to the audience. And, and that's kind of like what I was saying earlier. It's like, this is the kind of character study that I live for, because there are no uh, explanations or answers, really. It's really a glimpse into this person's life and the struggles that they're going through uh, as they um, face up to uh, uh, the struggles of humanity. And that's what that's what ties me and uh, uh, draws me to these types of uh, character studies, um, because it really is the experience of the character that we're watching without any type of, um, you know, there's there's nothing that uh, that Schrader is trying to like say in terms of like, this is right, this is wrong, this is what people should do, this is what they shouldn't do at all. It's entirely a glimpse into Ethan Huck's, um crisis of faith. And that's it. Yeah. Um... Yeah, there's nothing in the way of you, like, kind of making up your own mind, I guess, is the point. Yeah. Um, who do we else are we talking about? Amanda Seyfried, she's... Uh, so they go on that magic mystery tour, kind of uh, almost um, uh, drug-like trip, uh, where they're uh, connecting uh, with each other, where they have this... So she talks about how uh, she used to lay on her husband as a form of connection. And so... She asked uh, uh, Ethan Hawke to do this, and so and she's lying on top of him, and they kind of go through this surreal drug trip uh, scene. And this, I think it's pretty important because it really sets up uh, whether or not the rest of the film is uh, in reality or in his head. So this really kind of ties back to the end scene uh, that we'll get to because uh, it's entirely up for interpretation. It's a turning point for sure yeah. for the character um, Ethan Hawke is playing. Um, 
I think like, you know, everybody who's watching that scene in the beginning, it was like, these guys are going to fuck, you know, like it's very, it's, there's a lot of like electricity going on between them. Yeah. And instead of that, you get this kind of, like you said, big Lebowski drug trip, you know, scene that's a little fantastical, but you're right. It's like kind of perfect and it's beautiful. It's like they're elevating. It's very spiritual, you know, but it's also like showcasing a lot of the beauty that is like nature and the environment that we live in and how, you know, that's part of us and how we, you know, live. And then it turns pretty quickly to tires in a yard, but plastic bottles. And as an audience member, it's, it's very hard to watch. Cause you're like, Jesus, is that's what's really happening? Like, even if, if yeah. you didn't know, you know, right. now, you know, and the deforestation stuff. And it's really, um, it's really shot. It's really a shocking scene because it starts out so beautifully, you know, and then it turns. <clears throat> and I think that's another way of like, that sexual energy like really just combined them and their cause you know um and and where he was going to go from there so that brings up a, a good point i wanted to talk about so technology um you know like so the 2010s is uh certainly when social media um came to be uh at least in the prominent way for most people and it really it kind of goes into what the world we live in now it's like in the past like you could kind of choose what you uh wanted to know it's like you, you there was it was kind of a limit to what you knew about the world and now with technology and social media and just uh, the access of information it's like you can know exactly what you want at any time and uh that kind of leads into like you can you can know your own truth at any time so that that kind of feeds into the hope or despair it's like whatever whatever um you are at that space it's like the information you can you can seek out information that'll validate either way i don't know if you remember the scene in um six feet under where george I'm sure i do <laughs> uh where, where george I, and i just oh, finished yeah. the series by the way oh yeah and fucking ending best ending in television history anyway yeah <clears throat> George is like gets gets there right. Remember yeah. in two oh, yeah. and this is two thousand four probably when that was. I think that was a two thousand four season, and he's going on the internet and it's talking about the water and and there's he can he's just discovering the internet at that time and that you know all of these terrible things in the world are like coming to fruition and yeah there's nobody fact checking that there's no you know it's just stuff that he's finding out but it, it drives him mad right i mean he spoiler alert if you haven't seen six feet under george goes into a mental institution and it really fucks up ruth <laughs> i'm I, yeah there's a great scene when uh, a uh, a young uh, youth pastor somebody with the church comes to to his door asking yeah. him to join god and his yeah. reaction is just like bomb cool and collect it's like you really think that's going to make any change? <laughs> yeah. the, the thing we need to do is address the water crisis. I'm going to give you some information. Why don't you come? Yeah, in and then he comes it? in. He has him come in so he can show him all about the. He basically, water he does his own conversion to the, to yeah. the religious guy uh, for his uh, environment, his own environmental activism. But you're right um, about yeah, that technology, no, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the point that I'm making here is that yeah, it's, it's scary. It's those scenes that you were saying, like when they're on that uh, kind of drug trip, it looks beautiful. And then it kind of devolves, uh, devolves into those scenes of like what the world is looking like. And that, that, that kind of is a good point. It's like those, I mean, 
you know, I mean, it's not any conspiracy. It's like corporate media. It's like it's owned by nothing but billionaires. And so like what's shown is only going to be like what is kind of in their interest. And so that's why you really don't see images like that in the news, even though that's extremely newsworthy information, uh, you would think. And so that's just nothing that's uh, it's something that most people uh, who are watching regular news don't really see ever. And so that kind of makes sense why it is a shocking thing uh, for so many people. Like, oh, shit, that is what the world is going on, uh, or what the world looks like at the moment. And, um, you know, I'm just here in my in my room. And what can I do about it anyway? Well, we could just spend uh, years talking about the powder keg that was the 2020 pandemic. Um, you know, all of the different things you can't unsee. I remember sitting there with all of the things happening in the world and thinking like, as soon as someone stops reporting on all of this stuff, like people will forget about it and something's in mm. it, you know, it won't be the buzz, you know, thing of the day anymore. <clears throat> and here we are three years after it and everybody's moved on, you know, right. like it's almost crazy because like, you know, you shouldn't forget that kind of stuff and you shouldn't forget like what's happening in the world and you should be, political uh, uh, to a point you know and can stand up for things that you believe in but at the same time like you can't get obsessed with it and you can't carry on with it um but then you can't also forget it you know um it's why i think art is so important i talk about it a lot you know commenting on the times that you're living in um so that future generations can realize like what it was like and hopefully that you don't repeat a bad part of history again even though it happens all the time <laughs> well put uh, I'm trying to see the hope in that aspect rather than just the despair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is which is fine. It's the, it's the best. Well, I think the hope the happen, hope so. is is that like here we are three years later, and I, I feel like all of the hardship that was going on, you know, it's gotten better, and I think that's a positive thing to come out of it. You know, it has gotten better. Maybe that acted uh, in a way for people to get outside more i would hope so you know instead of reading so much stuff online and realizing most of it's fodder anyway um i would like to hope that that that's a positive thing that came out of it because you know even like what we're doing right now with zoom i mean this is a great thing to have but i know that you and i both value like we would rather do this in person a million times if we didn't have the space between us um and i i think a lot more people believe that now too when before they were like no this i don't want to see any human beings anymore and like this is what i would rather it be that yeah. quickly faded you know i think human beings need to connect uh well, i was going to say this podcast is a pandemic podcast we started this uh, near the beginning of it out of uh, a, a need to connect and so uh, that's definitely one good thing at least for me uh, that came out of it so yeah, and I'm glad we kept it going. This is that's the I guess that's the point is that the good things you just keep going, right? And so here we are talking about Paul Schrader and uh, his mad genius. Oh, so good. So maybe I want to talk about Hawk a little bit more, uh, but we also uh, getting close to the end, which I'm excited to talk about the last ten minutes of this movie. Um, what do you feel like discussing right now? You want to talk about that ending? Yeah, I mean, why don't you? It sounds like you, you know, you have a lot to say about it. Why don't you lead the uh, the charge, and I'll, I'll chime in on my thoughts as we go along. Yeah. So he essentially, 
is ready to um, take out the, the high-enders at the 250th uh, anniversary at his own church. Uh, well, can you explain high-enders? That's the thing is that I was kind of like not well, sure who was in the audience. I know that he, you know, he has trepidations about Amanda Seyfried showing up, but yeah, can you just speak a little bit about that? He's, he, well, he's perfectly willing to kill innocent people. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but all the corporate interests that we talked about uh, from Bulk, uh, I think you said it was the name of the uh, uh, corporate funding uh, organization, uh, they're all going to be at the uh, anniversary. And so in his mind, uh, taking a suicide bomb vest to that and taking out the church is where he's basically got to in his um, uh, despair adult mind. And yeah, so, for anyone listening, leading up to this, he has definitely kind of gotten to the point where he's on his vest and everything. He's sewn in, you know, in memory of some of the people that have been environmentalist um, sort of angels, you know, that have gone and given their life for the cause. <clears throat> he's sewn them on the vest and it's very that's in a very Travis Bickle moment. Yeah, uh, he's in front of the mirror. He's looking at himself and everything. Um, but this all kind of culminates because he's been to the doctor now. And the doctor is like, you know, cancer isn't the cancer it used to be. But yeah, you probably have it. We have to do some more tests. And then, you know, at the same time, uh, the drinking hasn't stopped. He's only been doing more of it. And he's fallen more and more into despair, realizing that these, as you mentioned, the high-end people, the bulk guy who basically runs the organization, there's no beating them. They're too, they're too big. So he's gotten to this point where he's about to enter into the church to do the 250 year celebration that all along, we don't really know that he's going to get to this point where he's going to put on the suicide vest and bomb them, except for the fact that he does tell Amanda Seyfried he does not want her there. He's very, very, very blatant on how he says it to her. You do not go there. And she's kind of like thrown off by this. Like, so there's that point that he says. Um, and then there's one other thing that happens. Oh, he's talking to Cedric, the entertainer. And he's basically saying like, oh, that's fine. If Bob comes and, and to the 250 thing and introduces this, it's fine. Uh, as long as I get this in my congregation, I want to be there. So you do have an idea as soon as you find out that he's going to put on his vest, that he's thought about it for a while, that he was going to like use this celebration as a time to kill, kill him. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, throughout the whole time of him discovering the vest, like he's definitely intrigued by it. Uh, but you know, him being intrigued by it is, is pretty far from actually, uh, murdering innocent people yeah i guess so, you don't think that he's really going to get to right. that threshold yeah and so so we're in that final scene he's, he's starting to dress up he puts on the vest he's, he's just incredibly composed and and um put together about everything he's doing it very formal and um and that's when he sees that uh, amanda Seyfried, mary she uh, shows up she defies him she shows up and this is the first time in the whole movie where he's set off and he um, gives a type of um, performance that I've never seen Ethan Hawke do. He's, yeah, he's like touching his the vest and stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's he's writhing in absolute pain, and um, he's he's also giving like these like uh, deep groans of like anguished pain that I've, I've yeah. never seen him do. It's just so fucking great. And, and so this is this is where he's he's being set off, and he's 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 ready to either kill himself or follow through with the bombing which it seems like he's not willing to do because of uh mary being there and um 
And so, and then he just, he, he, he wraps himself in barbed wire, the Jesus figure almost. He's cutting himself uh, with the barbed wire and he's putting the vest back on, or like the um, reverend out back on. And he's ready to, to drink uh, toilet cleaner. And this is, yeah, go ahead. Did you say when he put on the barbed wire is very biblical? Uh, well, I mean, it certainly feels quite biblical. I mean, it's, I, it's, so. it's, I, I took it as like he's wearing the crown of thorns, you know, like he's yeah. maybe and then maybe this is martyrdom. Right. You know, right. I'm Jesus here. Yeah. 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 And there's also that scene, like you said, it's very he's very put together when he's putting these things on and he's kind of going about the best. Very military in one scene. And that's um, a good yes. point you said earlier that he, he, he is a former military person. Um, so that's, again, why it felt very Travis Bickle, you know. Yeah, that's right. And so everybody's waiting for him at the church, uh, ready for him to give the uh, congregation speech. Um, Cedric, the entertainer, he's walking. He's trying to find him. Can't get in the building. Uh, entire building's locked. Um, and this is uh, important because I think that kind of is one of the many notes that this is a, uh, a dream um, for everything that follows. Um, Mary shows up. Um, just says his name and he drops the uh, toilet bowl cleaner that he's about to drink and they have um, they just walk straight up to each other start kissing and for the first time in the whole movie the camera is basically moving it's one of those great shots we've seen a bunch of them actually lately like in Body Double and a couple other movies yeah. <laughs> where two two figures are kissing and the camera is just moving around them the entire time and it's like the chaos around them is swirling, right. but they're finally connected in something beautiful. And it is the first time the camera is really even moving at all because it's all been very still, uh, very serene kind of shots throughout the entire movie, uh, very focused on specific items. And it's the first time you kind of feel disoriented by the camera. And um, so I personally take it as the entire ending really is his, uh, a dream and that he uh, did die in one of multiple ways. Either he drank the, the toilet cleaner, or he bled to death, or he did follow through with the with the bombing. And it really doesn't matter what, like you know, what actually happened. Uh, all it kind of really comes out to is just kind of like what that uh, those final moments of his life felt like. Which you know, you can make the argument him, him making out with Amanda Seyfried is basically heaven. And so, and then it cuts to black for the end of the movie. I agree with you. Um, it's hard to believe that she would walk in with barbed wire wrapped all around him. Right. And he would just start making out with her. Um, I and like would, I said, Cedric couldn't get in, but she's just showing right, up. Right. He's there. Yeah. So it's just these little things that I think. She calls him very, by his first name, too. Right. Says, which, you is, know, which never has before. Yeah. And so it's just little things. Again, it really doesn't matter, but it's just little things that kind of give you the note that this is in a, in a surreal world. And it's most likely the, either the final moments of his life or like the final, uh, the first couple moments after he first dies. And so, and, and the music um, is playing, the, 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 um, the hymn, the gospel hymn is playing the entire time uh, for this final scene. Which is why I love the direction so much. And it just gives this, really uh, perfect summation of that hope or despair that uh, the entire movie has been running through the whole time. Yeah. This film is uh, definitely, like we said, a lot is up for interpretation. 
Yeah. No one would be wrong if they had a different opinion as us, uh, what happened at the end of the movie, because again, I think that's the point. Um, it's not like one of those satisfying endings, you know, you're, you're not, I don't think any way you look at it, it's like a very positive outlook at the end, you know, you don't feel great at the end of this film. Um, it's kind of like a lot that's going on is still going on in the news right now, but in, you know, the environmentalists are, um, putting dye in the water in, I think it's in, was in Italy and then throwing, you know, tomato can soup on uh, the Mona Lisa or whatever it was. I mean, there's a lot of people that are out there doing extreme things to get people to pay attention and stop fucking up our earth. Um, you know, this is uh, ongoing and, and, and I don't feel like religion paired with uh, that kind of immediate need for help for our world is going to leave you with anything but questions at the end of the movie. Yeah, no, I definitely see where you're coming from for sure. Like, I mean, the idea wise, yeah, there's probably not much uh, to, to have hope for, but uh, as a film, like in the direction, like yes. that's, I mean, that's entirely why uh, this is a movie that I've watched multiple times and, and, and fucking love it uh, yeah. because of how ambiguous it is like i was saying and like how open for interpretation like you were saying and it's how that fascination between hope and despair and it's just a fucking amazing way that Schrader was able to kind of weave all these things together and i mean i feel i haven't really said enough but it really is hawk's performance that makes this um uh such a classic film for me um, he, as you were mentioning, this this definitely is my favorite uh, performance of his. It's one of my favorite films that he's ever done, um, performance wise. Um, Training Day would be up there as well in the before movies. But uh, oh, yeah. he he is so fucking good in this movie, um, and it's it's a large reason why uh, I love this movie so much is because of his performance. And like I said, those last ten minutes um, of being so. Uh, calm, cool, and collected throughout the whole movie and rational, and for him to uh, basically release everything that's been going on deep inside in those last 10 minutes. It's fucking uh, beautiful to watch. Paul Schrader was recently at a, the Arrow Theater doing like a question and answer. I feel like he's in the, um, a lot of people's discussions these days about film especially out here i can pay a lot more attention to like you know there's a lot more of those like alamo draft house type places um where they really focus on filmmaking and you know films you should know like of course new beverly and everything we know is amazing and um that kind of stuff but there's a lot more there's like a secret movie club is another one i follow and they're constantly putting up um films that are you know, really important. And of course, everybody's playing them in like the uh, aspect ratio, the original film negatives. And uh, they, from time to time, we'll, we'll have like filmmakers there um, to talk about the films. And, and Schrader was, was at the Arrow the other day. And I don't know why I don't go to these more often. Maybe it's just, you know, I'm busy, but uh, I would have really liked to see that. Yeah, I'm definitely familiar with Secret Movie Club. Uh, it's uh, they have a lot of great showings. Um, yeah, any final thoughts about the movie? Um, it sounds like you definitely uh, enjoyed it in terms of uh, a Paul Schrader film. Uh, and oh, yeah. also a Hulk, a Hulk film. Um, but like I said, it really does kind of um, 
act as a trilogy in my mind, this taxi driver and uh, bringing out the dead. There was a uh, Paul Schrader film that I tried watching the other day and it just, it was just too, it was too much, but it, it was within the uh, criterion. I'm, I'm trying to look it up right now. Um, they had put together a list of like, erotic like i don't know if you've noticed but there's like a lot of like erotic 90s like things happening it, you must remember this you know is um i saw she's doing that um, yeah she's always ahead of things yeah. um and anyway she 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 was i think it was like erotic 80s and now she's doing erotic 90s and i haven't really listened to them i have to admit um i want to but it seems like she's been so good about like influencing like what is happening in cinema which is kind of an amazing thing that i've been noticing because like criteria and then we'll put together like you know the erotic films you should watch from the 90s or whatever so anyway there's a film that paul schrader did called the comfort of strangers have you ever, have you ever seen no director uh, just right let's see um he directed it 1990 with Christopher Walken. And so I didn't finish it. I got about 15 minutes in and it was like late night. And I, I was like, I got to really take this in. So I didn't end up watching the rest of it. But, uh, you know, Schrader's been doing films for a long time. And uh, I don't know, like this film was one of my favorites, I would say, just to end our conversation that I've seen of his. And it's nice. It's nice to see him direct it. You know, I caught up with uh, a Schrader that I had never seen. Uh, I think it was the first movie he ever directed. Uh, 1978, Blue Collar, with Harvey, Ke Harvey Keitel and Richard Pryor, which I was not familiar with this movie, but once I heard it existed, uh, with the two of them in a Paul Schrader movie, I was right on it. Um, it's, they're workers in a local union, and they uh, discover corruption uh, because they, they decide to steal from the union, but they inadvertently <laughs> discover corruption within the union. So they try to blackmail them. And it's, 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 it was pretty fucking great. I mean, it was like, like I said, a young Harvey Keitel with Richard Pryor. It's fucking amazing. Um, it was just, you could definitely see, yeah, it looks like it was the first movie he directed based off his script. So it was only a couple of years after Taxi Driver um, and right before Raging Bull. Um, yeah, I mean, his, I do have to catch up with a decent amount of his movies, um, because he has some ups and downs, certainly as a director. Uh, there's quite a few movies he's made that people are not fans of. Um, he did one of the, uh, reboots, attempts to reboot the, uh, Exorcist, but, uh, to begin in 2005, which had multiple cuts. I believe um, I, I believe I saw that. Yeah. Autofocus is a fucking weird fucking movie. I remember watching that one at uh, Suncoast. That one's way out there with Greg Kinnear and William Defoe. Uh, it's like <laughs> the actor um, Bob Crane in his Sex Edition. Hmm. Way out there. So, yeah, um, <laughs> he's yeah, got some uh, ups and downs and, and some unusual uh, stuff. It is from I mean, Tarantino kind of rips him in, in Zimma Speculation. Uh, at times and i i think he has to like at the end of the chapter he's like i actually did discuss with paul schrader and i let him know i was not uh, a fan of this film uh, i forget the film he was discussing and he said don't worry I neither am i that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah which one was that i forget the name of the film um, but it was like on that chapter yeah. i think that he was going into taxi driver probably um i did hear that tarantino reached out to schrader 
um, and asked him if he can redo the ending of um, Rolling Thunder, which Schrader wrote Rolling Thunder, he didn't direct it, um, which is one of Tarantino's favorite movies. Um, but he wanted to redo the ending for his new movie. Uh, it's going to be like a small part, like in the film critic uh, for his final film. So that's all the details I know about that. But uh, so obviously you're going to be seeing some um, uh, revisionist uh, 70s classics in uh, Tarantino's final film. So. Wow, it's, I'm sure it's got to be a love story to those films that he loved growing up. I'm sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. I mean, yeah. My final thoughts: like, I love this movie. Uh, again, Schrader's great. It's largely because of Ethan Hawke's performance. Uh, it's definitely uh, uh, travesty that he wasn't uh, nominated for Best Actor this year, uh, especially when you look at uh, who was uh, nominated over him. Um, and it's definitely. Um, one that uh, I think uh, people should check out quite a bit. Yeah, and I'll say my last thought. Uh, seeing Cedric the Entertainer reminded me of a time in like probably 2018. I was at like a rooftop party in Chicago and Cedric the Entertainer was there. <laughs> we were nice. both pretty drunk and I got to talking with him. And oh, no yeah, it was a really cool moment. Like, you know, just kind of like bullshit. And we we're just, I, I, you know, nothing like, Hollywood about it. It was just kind of like two guys drunk at a party. And I was like, you know, like Chicago legend, man, Bernie Mac, you know? And he's like, oh, you know, he kind of changed because Bernie had, Bernie had passed away. And uh, I was like, let's do a shot for Bernie Mac, man, you know? So we fucking, I got to do a shot with Cedric the Entertainer <laughs> to Bernie Mac. It was fucking awesome. Wow, that's that's incredible! I had no idea about that. That's great. Yeah, uh, you said it was 2018. He was he was riding high off of uh, uh, First Reform that just came out. So mm. <laughs> yeah, probably celebrating that release or something. So. Yeah, he's an interesting uh, casting choice for this. I mean, I always love those like kind of comedian things where right. you don't expect them to be in these like sort of serious roles. Well, I mean, he plays like uh a, a, a reverend which again like the type of uh theatrical reverend that you see like in a lot of churches it, it takes a big personality and uh you know a standard comedian is oftentimes perfect for that totally <laughs> i love that um awesome first reform glad you loved it and uh yeah let's get into some other stuff everybody check out first reformed paul schrader Mwah. Beautiful. What have you been watching uh, this week, actually? I have so a I, viewings I, that I want to talk about. I'm excited to hear about yours. Okay, yeah. I, I recently watched a film. Uh, there's a Jennifer Jason Lee setup, and um, I'll just kind of ramble off what, I'm wa what I've watched because there's a, there's a lot since the last time I talked to you. Uh, so Jennifer Jason Lee, um, like retrospective on Criterion, and I watched Single White Female for the first time. Had not yet, yeah, had oh. never seen it before, but of course it was like kind of like the buzziest movie back in um, when it came out, and I was always so interested in, in seeing it. And uh, yeah, it was like a, that was like a fun ride to uh, to check it out. And then I a movie I watched way too young. I, you I so you've like, seen it, yeah? Oh, I saw that on HBO when I was a little kid, um, and. Yeah, I remember. I mean, it's not a crazy movie, but it was. You know, I mean, it's a lot of nudity. It's a good amount of nudity. Uh, yeah, I do remember. Yeah, those are some of the first boobs I saw. So as, as a kid, I was lucky enough to have HBO. So yeah, um, yeah, that's a crazy movie. That's that 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 does go into the perfect like the '90s uh, erotica, and it also goes into like the '90s trope. Um, 
I forget he was kind of covering a lot of these movies. There's so many movies well, like Basic 90s. Instinct, and it's like yeah, like like kind of like like obsession and like death and like murder mixed with like sexuality. But it was also it was all like in middle class white kind of setups. You know, it was always like uh, with I mean, what's that uh, uh, Michael Keaton one uh, Pacific Heights where he's like the, the crazy uh, tenant who's going to uh, start uh, killing everybody or. Um, or the Michael Douglas movie with uh, Glenn Coe close. It's all, well, it's always uh, like this kind of suburban horror uh, that was pretty prominent when you look at all like the thrillers that were coming out in the early 90s. I would say that I think it's more like, especially in single white female, it's like more upscale people like mixed with like maybe lower. So in that movie, at least Jennifer Jason Lee is coming in as like sort of like a bit of a transient she didn't really have much place to live or whatever but then she moves in because of like the infidelity happened between um what's your name again Jennifer fonda yeah yeah bridget bridget fonda yeah and so she's but she's like made it she's successful and she you know has her own company and everything like that so it's kind of like a that was like a mix and i even think in the michael douglas one he's like a lawyer or something like that yeah. what was what was that film with glenn close he's like the rabbit that's like in that film right is that one i have disclosure but yeah it's all that middle class middle to upper class kind of uh white paranoia of like mm, who's going to <laughs> come in into my comfy life and mm. start trying to threaten it you know what i yeah. mean kind yeah. of just general yeah there's uh, a vibe to those for sure oh yeah totally so um sorry didn't mean to cut you off but uh, no that's yeah. fine yeah so i watched that recently and then we my girlfriend had never seen hateful eight so we oh. watched hateful eight she had never seen uh death proof and we talked about it the other day so we watched death proof um oh yeah both films she loved i love death proof i think a little bit more than most people um i'm it's way up there for me it's way up there for me too and i, yeah. I just recall like last time we talked you had mentioned that uh that's not one of tarantino's like he doesn't sell it as like his favorite yeah. but yeah i love it. it you know watching it again it is like a long payoff for that car scene uh at the end but it's not like anything's boring you know you love these girls no. like the ride no. that you're on with them so it's a showcase for his dialogue uh, yes yeah. yes very much and i would say that another thing that maybe is like a little bit of a downfall that it's like it's very like tarantino wink fest i mean he's oh, talking about that, foot massages yeah he's talking about yeah. giving foot massages he's you know he's a booyah you know like every movie that tarantino has like awesome shit in they like threw that into these you know grindhouse and that i mean i remember seeing that like when it first came out so it was like the double feature with planet terror mm -hmm. and i mean that makes sense uh that he would just kind of uh i mean it's as closest to a horror movie that he's ever made um and so it kind of makes sense that that would be kind of like a hodgepodge for like everything that just like gets him off he's going to throw into this uh grindhouse type movie uh in a double feature so yeah dude planet really terror by the way rico, rico. six feet under I was just thinking about Rachel. I haven't seen him in anything in forever. Um, he was in Hollywood Land, which was great, uh, I believe. No, I'm sorry. He was in Lady in the Water. Mm, never saw that one. Wait, Lady in the Water or Hollywood Land? He was in Hollywood Land and he was like working out his arm. Hollywood Land is the one with uh, Affleck. Affleck, right? Yeah. yeah. So those are, Lady in the Water is the M.I. Shyamalan movie. 
Yes, I know. I, he might be in both films, okay? okay I, yes, I have to look it up. I remember anyway, like in the Hollywood Land. Yeah, I haven't seen that since it came out. That was, that was a good one. There's a film uh, or a series based on uh, a real-life murder that happened in the 80s called Love and Death that's on HBO right now, mm-hmm. and it's fucking excellent. And there was a f- series a year before called Candy. It's the same story, and that was with Jessica Biel. I enjoyed that. I'm enjoying Love and Death even more. They really like HBO, man. I don't know. You know, it's kind of like the best shit. Like every time they put something together, it's like the fucking best, you know? Well, you don't have to get into it, but like apparently HBO is no more. Today's like the first day. Max. And, you know, it's just Max. I can't understand. I honestly don't get it. It's like, why would you? So I've had HBO my entire life, uh, like since I was a little kid. I don't understand what what's the appeal of just it just it not being that anymore. I'm, well, I'm confu- maybe I'm confused. In my know. in my opinion, I, I have a feeling that maybe HBO will live somewhere as like you know the parent company still, but like Max is like the streaming platform version. Everybody has these like you know Paramount Plus, and that shit's all confusing, right? You go on yeah. fucking Apple, and you're like, okay, I paid for Apple, and it's like, but I still got to pay five ninety nine for the movie. It's like you know, on their plus feature or some shit. It, it, it's all confusing. Maybe HBO is trying to remedy that by saying like, okay, well, this is like our streaming platform and like HBO will live as like HBO somewhere else. But I don't know. I, I don't really know that, but I'm just saying like, maybe they're trying to find a way to like make it a little bit easier for us all to understand that like HBO programming is now on max and, you know, the old HBO that you loved. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be like, Six feet under on Max, right? Or is it? That's what it is. It, HBO Max doesn't exist anymore. If, if if I don't have cable, I haven't had cable in fifteen years. So if I'm going to watch everything that HBO has, I have to get Max. Well, that's what I'm saying. So does like yeah. cable still have HBO? Is HBO still cable? Like you're asking the wrong person. I, seen I mean, TV dude, I haven't had TV <laughs> in fucking years. I don't have any right, right. TV here. Right, so. right, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess yeah. If you have like. The, comcast whatever cable package i'm assuming it would still be called hbo but if you're like um you know anybody under 80 uh you probably don't have that and so if you're going to watch the stuff that hbo has you know like you know like we've mentioned a ton of times it's it's one of the best streaming sites um it's just max so that's why I'm just, I guess I'm more just confused on like a marketing level. It's like, I don't understand why this brand that's been around for 40 years, you're just going to be like, oh no, this is not a thing. Yeah. Who knows? I don't yeah. know. I mean, listen, <laughs> since we last talked, there's been too much going on. I mean, AI, the writer's strike. I mean, everybody's striking. There's probably going to be no programming soon. It's fucking crazy out here. Just so you know, like, I don't know what it's like uh, in Chicago, but there's everybody picketing on every street corner about AI and their fucking live their livelihoods are on the line. Uh, like I've never seen it before. So um, I've been thinking about AI quite a bit just because of, I mean, I've been thinking about it for a long time, but like what it's going to do for like stories and like, it has the potential to really push people away from generic material and into more deeply personal material because I mean, AI has already been able to write like a better script than for like um, CSI than I could write. Um, but it certainly can't write a better script uh, that is deeply personal to people. 
uh, right now. So I almost, I'm just thinking generically, but it's like, or high level, like, I think it, it, it could almost have the ability of having people like kind of reject more generic stories and seek out more uh deeply weird and, and unusual and personal stories. I mean, if Hollywood will make those and take a chance on that shit anymore, like that's the other thing that's been happening is that, yeah. well, we know people love star Wars and that's going to make money. So we're going to make more star Wars shit. Um, uh, we've talked about this t- before too. I think like a 24 make a 24 made uh, the film we talked about today. And like, they take the chance on like some shit that, uh, is new and unique, but you don't really see that too often right now. There's not too much uh, brand new original things happening because uh, I don't know if it was a result of the pandemic or you know recession or whatever. But um, you know, all the original stuff is kind of being pushed aside to make room for things that are, they know are going to be surefire money makers. I mean, uh, like the Flash has uh, that throwback now to the old Batman that everybody loved, like. Everyone's gonna see that to see that, you know. I'm, I'm, I'll admit, I will see it for my competing in that. Yeah, yeah. So everybody, fuck, I don't even watch those movies, but I'll go right. see it for Michael Keaton. You know, yeah. that movie was the biggest fucking movie in 1992. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. But I bet I, I, you know, it's weird. I, I experienced the AI thing for the first time through like a stock photo thing that I use. So a lot of times, um, I have in the past uploaded like a lot of the photos that I've taken um to sites that'll use it for like stock photography like you know if i took a great picture in chicago and whatever something came to me that said like we're moving forward you have to resign the lease uh you know uh releases for your um photos because we're going to lend your photos to our ai uh machine to better for it to better understand the world and how to create different things. So let's say you put in something like, I wanna get me a picture of Chicago with a you know sunset that's purple and the bean in front of it. And so AI will then like search through all of the things that it's learned from this specific photo stock photo site and it'll you know look for in its whatever database, I don't even know how this stuff works. But it'll, you know, let's say I took a photo that has like a purple skyline or something like that, and it will take that and then use it to create this brand new image that somebody looked for. And basically they were saying you have to give away your rights knowing <clears throat> that for all of eternity, for the rest of time, you, your, the rights to your original photo are going to be used whenever this is used on this money-making machine for us. Right. Right. I can say no. But that's the first time I've experienced it in my life where like as an artist, my original photo doesn't really matter anymore. Like, cause now it's going to be used to make millions and millions and millions of other like original photos for people whenever they plug it into their computer. I saw somebody point out and it kind of clicked in my mind. Like the reason why like something as ubiquitous as chat GPT is like free is that like it's in its beginning stages right now and in, mm. in the beginning stages the reason why it's free is because all it's doing is taking all the information that people are just feeding just like instagram and facebook and all that yeah. stuff right it's just it's just sucking up information and it's going to do that for a while and then at some point it's just going to basically have all the information it needs and then who the fuck knows what happens there but it's just the fact that like there's a reason why it's free right now is because it's 
everybody's giving it fucking the information Dude, just using it. Though, yeah. I mean, nothing's free. They're eventually right. going to find a way <laughs> to monetize this. So, right, right, yeah. Right. But yeah, it's smart. They're getting everybody's shit and no, you know, people are just clicking buttons like, yeah, you could take that. I don't care. You know, as long as I get my 99 cents whenever it sells, you know, my photo, I don't care or whatever. But yeah, so it's, it's crazy. Uh, A lot happening. Um, I don't know. We'll see where this goes uh, next year when we're doing this podcast around this time and see if the world's changed any, but I will say there's like things that AI do that, you know, I, I like, like for instance, with my photography that, you know, uh, there's like an enhanced feature now within Photoshop that's AI generated that will like bring the resolution up with, you can't even tell there's like a difference uh, in quality and it'll like, I think it's called like super resolution and it's helpful for me in my printmaking. Right. So like when I take photos of my art, I like really set up the position with good lighting and everything like that. And my camera can only go to certain like, you know, um, I mean, it's a great camera, but it can only go to so many megapixels or whatever. So if I wanted to make a really, really big print of the photo that I took, like, you know, the bigger it gets, the worse the resolution. Like Photoshop has figured out a way with AI to like make your photo super resolution. And that's another way that I've seen AI that I can use. Like that's helpful to me as an artist, you know? So I, I kind of like is my age old story. I did a podcast where they asked me about AI and I think like, it still runs that like line of like, yeah, well, there's like a lot of challenges in art over the years, but like how you use it or how you react to it as an artist is kind of like equally as important, if not more important than um, bitching, bitching about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of your art, I saw your new painting uh, with the airplane this morning. Uh, Oh, fucking great. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, so let me tell you that. I'm sorry. I'm talking about myself a ton. I want to hear about you and your picks and what you've been watching. The last thing I'll say is that we I missed the, the last week um, because I, I was really, really, really working hard, um, kind of like losing it a little bit. So thanks for giving me um, a week before we talked about this. But that was because and I don't have it behind me, but I got this is a quick story for anybody out there. Um, about persevering a little bit. It's, it's fucking hard being an artist, you know, um, when you're trying to begin something, you know, especially right now when like I'm kind of in like the second stage of my life and what I'm trying to do is kind of crazy, you know, uh, ground up artist, but I work really hard at it and I believe that I'm very good at it and I believe that people enjoy it. Um, and I know I enjoy it. So like, I'm not really worried so much about making a ton of money or anything, but I do want to like be out there in the world and get stuff onto walls so people can see my stuff. And then maybe eventually that will become a little more fruitful for me monetarily, um, in the future. And so like, I've been working and working and working at that. And like you said, I've been posting stuff online and that's been great and everything, but I really, there's a gallery around the corner called, uh, La Luz de Jesus. And so I've been really working really hard. I got rejected last year um, for the work that I had. And I told myself, um, I am going to resubmit next year. And I even emailed the, the, them back. They said, you know, like we had a lot of submissions um, for this. It was a juried uh, exhibition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we decided not to go with yours last year. And I kept the email and I said, I am going to fucking do it next year. Like, and I whole, I've thought about it for a whole year. Right. I've thought about it for a whole year. 
and I've like looked at the stuff that they've posted and, the, and I've gone to the gallery and I've looked at the things that like people are doing and it's done two things for me. One, it's humbled me and re- made me realize like where I was last year wasn't where I needed to be to be in some of these galleries. Like yeah, everyone's different. And my, I'm not saying my art was bad last year. I'm just saying, I don't think I was really, I like it. I took some time to learn how to oil paint better this year. And cause I realized like in their, a lot of their paintings that they were um, in their galleries were like oil paintings. And so that's like helped me get better as an artist. Um, and it gave me something to work towards as an artist. And last week I was grinding on the last piece. Um, they let you submit three. And yesterday I got the confirmation that I'm in the showing and I, dude, thank you. I am so, so happy and proud of myself for working hard that I said like, you know, it, it would have been okay if I didn't you know, if I didn't make it, it would have been okay. And I would have still had some great pieces and I would have still learned how to paint better, you know, because of this process. But I will tell you, like, there's nothing better than getting that email that said, like, we're proud to accept you into our um, gallery show for 2023 in July. So I'm, I'm so, I'm so pumped about that. And uh, that's why I was going so crazy. And I I didn't have the time (laughs) on top of it being my girlfriend's uh, birthday. So um, yeah. Anyway, that's my little story there about being a, being a working artist here. Hell yeah, man. Fucking proud of you. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. I mean, that was, um, I mean, I've, I've known your work ethic for, for many years. Obviously. Uh, the way you were describing that right now was like just a perfect example of uh, a lesson that, you know, everybody, including myself, can take in terms of like focusing on what you can control and what you can't control. It's like you... Uh, everything you just said there is just entirely focusing on like what, what you can control in that circumstance for the for the year coming up to the next submission, focusing on painting and focus on that and you know it kind of ignoring the decision about it uh, because that's that's out of your control and so and that's right. all and I mean the 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 thing about life is that the more you focus on what you can't control, the better the turnout for what you can't control usually is so. 100% why I shared that story because you're right. Like once I submitted it, I talked a lot about it with my girlfriend and said like, uh, you know, now that it's out there in the world, I did what I had to do and that I told myself I would do and I'm that much better for it. But yeah, ultimately like the decision to get into that show isn't up to me. You know, I, I put the, my best foot forward and now um, it's up to somebody else, but that's okay. I'm on to something else that I enjoy doing. And I had to tell you like, man, I wake up every morning and I have like a real purpose that I love to do. Like I, I really hope people uh, find that for themselves. Um, I hope that for you, if that, you know, whatever you're doing in your life, that you have something that you just feel like um, it's what you're supposed to be doing. You know, if you believe in God, like it's what God put you here to do. And that, yeah, it's hard, but like it's satisfying, right? And um by the way, one of the things um, I, I they they chose choose chose one of the pieces that I submitted, and um, it, I won't give away too much here because I'm gonna be able to post it soon, and there'll be a site where like you can buy it actually, which is amazing. Like this is my first big like museum, not not museum, but my first big gallery that's accepted a piece, and like they're gonna have it available online to buy before it even opens. So I'm like really excited. Somebody could like own this like really important piece to me, but there's a, a stoicism 
component of it, which I would have never known stoicism had you not sent me that book. So in a lot of ways, um, you're in that piece. So thanks for oh, that. Yeah. Oh, love to hear that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like, that's, that's certainly one of, one of my uh, multiple purposes in life is, is <laughs> in information seeking. And that's why I read so much. And that, that's yeah. kind of just what I do uh, when I uh, get up in the morning. It's like, I'm always looking for mm, specific aspects and different aspects of life that uh, interest me. So that's what. Yeah. For so long, you know, you, you kind of wake up in the morning if you're doing something that's not right and you dread the day, you know, um, I don't, I just want any, I don't want my life to ever be like that again. It doesn't it's like, and that's where like the money doesn't matter because, you know, the feeling I get about like, oh my God, like it's almost like too scattered brain. Like there's so many projects I want to get into. I'm having my coffee and I can barely even sit, sit. You froze. Sit still because I'm so excited. Um, yeah. Oh, it says your internet connection is unstable. Is that me? You're freezing. I don't no. know if you can hear me right now. You're kind I of, can't. You can't hear me? I can. You can't. Okay. Uh, you're fine now, but yeah, you definitely froze there for a couple seconds. Well, that's okay. I'll cu I have to cut, I'll go through and cut out a few things. But um, anyway, all I was saying is that uh, very happy doing what I'm doing. And um, I, it's really great to have a partner in you know you with the remainders that understands that so sometimes half that shit is like oh man it's like you know pack gonna be upset that like i can't do remainders this week or whatever but you're always like so cool about it you're like yeah i get it you know <laughs> there we've been talking movies for what like over 20 years now it's not going anywhere anytime yeah. soon so that's true that's <laughs> i do I, I i feel like we'll be watching movies talking bullshit in movies and uh, finding life lessons in them for a long time to come so and that that being said, last thing I'm going to tell you before I, before you get into your thing, and then I'm done talking. You're going to shut the fuck up because I know I've been talking a while, <laughs> dude. William H Macy. That was that was fucking. I was pretty jealous that day. I was like, dude, I'm not seeing Macy. He's in a show set in Chicago, and I'm not seeing Macy. And you yeah, see yeah, yeah. Way. He was been in Chicago for like seven years or whatever <laughs> that show is. So, dude, let, check this out. Um, <clears throat> I've been recently running again because my doctor had said, yeah, you're okay to run and you know, your back is doing stronger. So go ahead. And it's made all the difference. And that's another thing I'm going to preach to everybody about exercise is like so important for every aspect of your mind and body. Uh, but I've been doing that and just like loving it. Like there's like a sweet spot where there's nobody really out and it's like around 1030 ish here. So I'll go and I'll, I'll run around on the block and um, I was on my cool down. And it was like, you go out to sunset from the neighborhood that I go to run in. And as I go down on sunset on a street, nobody's out. Mm -hmm. And I turn to the left to get on the sunset, staring at me this close as William H. fucking Macy. And he looks at me and I look at him. And we're staring at each other in the eyes and I just go. And he's like, <laughs> and, and kind of walks past. And I was like, I, I like, I'm not gonna be one of those guys who's like gonna pull out my phone, take a picture, ask, take a picture. But like, I was like, kind of like stunned. I'm like, holy shit! Like out of nowhere, it's like seeing like fucking Sasquatch or something. Because you're like, so like, what is he doing here? Like, no, you know, cameras. There's no nothing. It's just William H Macy on the street, and he's obviously looking for somewhere. He's like texting people on his phone. Uh, cause then I turned around once I got a little while back and he was still on the street, kind of like 
where like where am I kind of like so anyway here in uh here in uh Los Feliz Silver Lake area William H Macy's sighting was really cool just like then I started reeling back on all the shit Jurassic Park three you know fucking I love that <laughs> that's the first one you bring up <laughs> yeah no I know I know uh Taya Leone right and then you know obviously like my degrees of separation now with Paul Thomas Anderson is one William H Macy so yeah that was really cool uh i enjoyed that sighting a lot i mean if you really wanted to be an asshole you just go up to him is that quiz kid donnie smith <laughs> yeah, totally i mean dude you, i did that painting yeah oh it's a beautiful one yeah, yeah i love it i and then and that came back i was like i just fucking did it did i will this like i did a picture right. Right. Crazy. i guess if i really could have been an asshole i could have like brought up the uh uh the the scandal of the uh, uh school scandal that he went through but uh you know what is that? I don't even know that. Um, you watch was, the t- you're my source for TMZ, so I don't know anything about the personal lives of uh, actors. Yeah, I, I know all the personal information shit. from you. So, um, him and his wife got in trouble with that uh, college admissions scandal, like paying somebody oh, to get you into college. I know about that. Was, yeah, yeah, that uh, the girl from like Full House was one of them, right? Yeah, and his wife Felicity Huffman went to jail for it. Holy shit! Really? I yeah. have no idea about that. Yeah, for for like a. I don't know. She, I mean, I think she kind of did less time because she, I think she's one of the only ones who admitted to it. I don't know this. Wow. I don't know this fully. Um, but anyway, he didn't get in any trouble. Um, it was his wife. Yeah. That's such a crazy story. Cause it's like, yeah, one, obviously that's like, I mean, it's just such a blatant, like, uh, yeah. You know, people think like it's hard work that it pays off in life, but not so much. But then the other half is like college is becoming more and more uh useless as we go on so it's like that type that type of story it, it becomes even funnier that like these people are going through these lengths to to get their children to this useless degree well i don't know it's hard to say because you know i don't have any kids but i also know what it's like to fucking struggle you know and work really hard at trying yeah. to make you know a better life and to be uh in a better position where i don't have to like worry about the money that's coming in so i kind of wonder like what life is like for somebody who finally does like get to get get to make that you know let's say william h macy i don't know his story but let's say like he somehow was you know nothing and made no money and then became an actor came super wealthy and he and maybe in his mind he's like my none of my family is ever gonna have to i don't want them to experience that fucking life ever and you know maybe that's where it comes from and in that case like who can blame them you know what i mean they worked hard and they just want to like fucking make sure that their kids don't experience pain or hardship um it's wrong but i think it's like maybe people are like yeah like i'm just trying to save them ultimately they don't save them for anything but you get it you know yeah, yeah. Oh, no, maybe no, the no. intention's right yeah you know? who, who knows what's uh what's actually happened like, like um yeah i just find it funny it's like as, as college becomes increasingly uh useless for a lot of people uh, the only thing that most people come out of college with is debt and, and that's about it so i mean yeah but then you also like go to like some employer and like all they look at the resumes is like what fucking school somebody went to i mean i mean that's that... certainly less now than ever for that for sure that's... do you i mean do you think so i i oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. i haven't been in the workforce for uh <laughs> Going on three years here, so I don't that know. That was the, the best humble brag I've ever heard of. <laughs> hey, I worked hard for that humble brag. Maybe I'm not making any money. I know you did, but, but I worked hard for that humble brag. Oh, that was fucking great. Love it. Yeah. Uh, All right. So, what movies have you been seeing? Dish. Love it. Uh, well, you mentioned Perseverance. One of the best movies I saw in the last couple of weeks was um, 
great experience. I want you to see the Michael J. Fox documentary still at the Gene Sisko. All right. Beautiful. So we can talk about it. Um, such a great experience. I got to see it at the Gene Sisko. You and I have been there a couple of times. Awesome theater here in Chicago. Um, man, loaded, loaded movie. And like I said, talk about perseverance his entire life um, uh, in the last like 20 years. So like I read his his first couple memoirs uh, that came out um, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Great, great writing, just a great survey of his life and uh, what he's gone through. And then this movie is kind of the first time that I've ever really seen actual footage of where he's at now and how advanced um, his Parkinson's is. And I honestly didn't realize that he's living a life where he, he can't do anything by himself anymore. Is it, um, I, maybe you know better, I think it's like, the, ba the, it's based on those memoirs, right? Like. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely all his story. His, his, his yeah. memoirs are just like a survey of his his career and life, and then what he's been going through with the uh, diagnosis ever since. And so, it's just it's a really a summation of all his writing into it. And um, what did you think? And to see it at the Cisco Center, yeah, it was great. Yeah, uh, it was such a great time. I mean, like those, like there are some very candid scenes of um, him and his trainer, uh, him and his family, and it's just it it, it is. Um, humbling uh, to see him in such an advanced state of um, of Parkinson's and just the fact that he really uh, physically depends on so many people and there's multiple scenes of showing him in the hospital because he just fell and broke different parts of his body. Which we never um, hear about those, right? No, we don't hear about no, the breaks. No. And, yeah. Um, and I thought it was just a, it was a great uh, overview of his career and life. I mean, some of those old pictures uh, showing him when he was like a little kid, like just like two feet taller than the rest of his classmates. And the recreations, uh, by the way, were yeah. so well done. So well done. I loved it. Like um, in his hotel room with his pinky and stuff like that. I mean, they really, yeah. they really did a nice job of like putting us in that room where he first discovered things or what it was like for him as a kid, like you said. And he's still so charismatic when he's on screen doing the interviews. Uh, it's like such a fucking joy to like listen to and hear him talk about uh, what his life is. What his, uh, I mean, and nobody has to ingrain themselves in like that unless they go through it. A lot of people don't care to learn about it. And this is like, I think, a very good documentary. Like I mentioned, I saw it over the weekend. After you showed me that you saw that, I, I think I sent you that trailer maybe and i was like or maybe you did you sent it to me either way i know we were both excited to see it but I, i'm more jealous of you seeing it at the cisco center of course i saw it on uh apple plus so my girlfriend has a trial or something so i was able to watch it and um i didn't know much about parkinson's other than what you hear about you know or knowing muhammad ali had it you know um and then obviously everybody just assumes a lot of things, but here he's talking a lot about the drugs and like how important those are, you know, and controlling it. And like the fact to even be still for a minute to have to take, you know, a pill or whatever and him being like, I'm really tired. And, um, yes, like that, a very, very humbling scene where he fought the, the woman says something to him at the beginning. It's like in New York or something. And then he falls on the ground. Yeah. Um, it kind of left me speechless, you know? Right. He put it. He put his um, the drug that he takes uh, multiple times a day uh, to keep it um, kind of keep him focused. Is uh, he described it as waiting for a bus? Like he takes the pill. And he's he's just like when he, when the pill the effects aren't working. Like he's basically almost like trapped in his body and he can't really 
do too much uh, or think kind of straight. And so he's, he describes it as like, I took this pill, it feels like I'm waiting for the bus. I mean, five, 10 minutes, the bus arrives and then he's back on it. And that's what, and that's what a lot of interviews is like, because he's so sharp uh, when he's uh, answering the questions with the interview and just talking about everything that he's gone through. Talks a lot about not letting people um, treat him differently, especially as family. Um, God, that's got to be so hard to figure out, you know, like, how do we react to dad? How do we, how do we help him? You know, as a family, um, you really try to figure out like what, what that would be like, you know, if you had to go through something like that. I know a lot of people are uh, up against a lot in this, in this lifetime, but it's good to see that, to see how you can kind of keep things as positive as possible and still have surround yourself with a lot of love, even though you're going through something very traumatic and life altering. Um, no, you know, just with my own ailments that I've had, I've kind of, you don't, you don't see it in the, in the, you know, when you're in the shit, you know, but you can look back on things. Um, even if you're still going through them as, moments that shaped what the future is you know and it, i don't think i've ever told you this before but like when i was going through my issues um whatever it was two years ago that's stoicism book helped me a lot to, to stay present in the moment and um i i don't i honestly don't think i could have gotten through it without that like you know those are like that's such a big part of life, you know, just to try to stay present in the moment that you're in, you know, because you can't really predict what the future is going to be and you, the past is already over. So right here is all we got. And there's so much beauty in that moment. I think that's another reason why running is so nice or exercise. It's because like, I mean, or, or art, you know, you're, when you're ever, you're doing any of those things, you're very present in the moment. And I, oh, um, I, it's, 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 those are easy ways to achieve that, you know, state of mind. Hell yeah. I mean, thank you. Like, no notes. You, I couldn't put it more perfectly myself. So <laughs> I love that, uh, that you recognize that because that's, you know, that's half the struggle is being able to recognize that, you know, being lost in uh, thought is kind of the struggle of humanity, you know, yeah. that we have these monkey brains uh, in this modern society uh, that don't uh, necessarily uh, worry about anything other than uh, seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. And when you apply that to a life with uh, all the bullshit and conflicts that it goes through, it, being able to appreciate the good stuff is um, pretty uh, commendable task. So. And then also on the other side of things, Michael J. Fox, it's a good reminder of what a fucking badass he is and how much we love his films and um, the great art that he's created and, his time and i'm not just talking about back to the future even like the family ties stuff i remember watching that when i was a kid you know and uh yeah. and you know the one movie the thin red line that i've never seen right is that that's the is that's the one with him uh or is that not no uh not thin red line i know um it's the one with sean penn is that um, a de palma movie casualties of war casualties of war is that De Palma? Yes, it is De Palma because we mentioned it uh, when we were talking to Palma recently. Uh, yeah, I have not seen uh, Casualties. Neither have I, and I know that's like a serious. Uh, it's more of a serious yeah. performance of his. It's supposed to be great. It was. It actually screened it at the Cisco uh, within the last year or two. Um, yeah, it's definitely one that I need to check out because yeah, it's um, you know it's so easy to just rewatch Back to the Future or Teen Wolf. Uh, 
because <laughs> he's so fucking well, good in those movies. And we talked about this too, but favorite Jay Fox for me is The Frighteners. And uh, is that your favorite? I love that. It is. It, it's my favorite yeah. Michael J. Fox film. I love The Frighteners so much. Um, oh, yeah. Did you see? Did you end up going to see that? Uh, I missed that. It was the midnight showing, and I did not get through it. Gotcha. I, I'm always ambitious with the midnight showings these days, but I only <laughs> sometimes make it that late. So. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, cool. Uh, great. I, so should we do our, um, I, I'm sorry. Did you want to talk about anything else? Um, no, I mean, I mentioned blue collar, um, that I saw, oh, I did go to, uh, uh, showing at the music box. Uh, they played labyrinth with a full shadow cast, which was fucking great. What's shadow cast? Shoutcasts were like to perform the movie on like the stage in front of the screen. You know, they just they would get Rocky the fuck Ho- out of here. Rocky Horror does it like all the great like midnight screens for Rocky Horror. They'll have like a shadow cast. Um, I've seen it for like the room a couple times. Um, it's not really, you know, it's it's not like a commonly done thing. It's only awesome places like the news box or I'm not sure if the new Beverly does it, but it's it's kind of a rare thing. But yeah, so they they screen the movie and the actors. Um, for every character on screen is like uh, performing the movie in front of the screen. And it's fucking great. I mean, Labyrinth was one that we watched uh, growing up all the time. Uh, yeah. Classic. Pretty theatrical too, of course. Oh, yeah. it's so great. And the music's great. David Bowie, absolutely fantastic in it. Fucking Ridley Scott too, man. Mm, Ridley Scott? No. It's uh, oh, Jim, Jim Henson. Dark Crystal. Uh, that's Jim Henson too. I'm pretty sure. Look, I think Ridley Scott did Legend. Maybe that's what you're thinking about. Oh, that's it. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Oh, man. Great Tim Curry performance in that one as the devil. Um, Totally. Maybe Henson did the um, puppetry for that one. But yeah, no, that's Labyrinth is all uh, the brainchild of Jim Henson, um, which, man, it's that. I mean, it's a fucking movie that so many younger people should watch because of just like how tactile. Everything is in the fucking, it's like everything is a fucking puppet. It's like the sets, all the characters. It's just got to be like, I mean, like we were like raised watching that shit, but like for people who have, I don't know, maybe like really kind of only grew up uh, in the era of CGI. It's like to see something like Labyrinth and like blow their fucking minds. Be like, look at how much everything on screen, almost everything on screen is like tangible and being acted out. Um, it's, uh, It's right there. Plus David Bowie, so it's like yeah. kind of fucking great. Starring David Bowie and his package. Oh my god, that thing! Yeah, that got like uh, hoops and hollers when that uh, showed up uh, from the audience. <laughs> I bet. I mean, it's kind of become a thing of legend itself. Um, all right, let's talk. Let's talk music. Music. What? The Cure uh, didn't come around to town yet for you, did it? No, The Cure is in your town all week. Uh, I think yeah. we're just starting the Hollywood Bowl. I should have just, I know. just came over to you because I'm going to be traveling around the Midwest for like a week, seeing them at a couple of different places. I should have just flown out to your place and just watched them three nights in a row. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we listen, you would have had places to stay for sure. We would have done some pretty crazy stuff around here. But then again, <clears throat> maybe a trip out here is better when you don't have an agenda. So seeing them around the midwest will probably be a fun little drive you're gonna drive everywhere right uh so i'm flying to st paul it was just uh schedule-wise it was easier um i'll do that and then come back 
watch them here in Chicago, and then probably drive to Detroit. Where are they uh, playing in Chicago? United Center. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, they've, they've never played the United Center here before in Chicago, at least not anywhere that I've seen them. They've always been at other venues here. Yeah, I mean, I'm fucking excited. So, like, this is the first tour in seven years. I mean, I've seen them six or seven times. Um, but, um, what, I mean, one thing that really dawned on me is, like, this is, like, one of my favorite bands who are currently playing, like, to the peak um, of their talents. I mean, it, like I said, it's been a couple of years since their last uh, show shows, but, like, their last tour, I mean, they sound absolutely perfect and so like this is like gonna, it's a rare chance for me to like see like an artist that i've loved for like decades still playing so uh well because you know like i don't know like i never got to see like johnny cash or or i saw lou reed but he was like they had to wheel him on the stage basically uh i never got to see warren zevon um i mean i've and then i've seen like uh, bob dylan a bunch of times but he's okay yeah. live so it's just like really Seeing one of my favorite artists of all time sound this good, it's just uh, I'm not going to have that chance very often again. So, I mean, unless I find a new favorite band tomorrow, and then I'll be able to watch them for the next uh, 20 years. But uh, hopefully, I, I'll hold off for that. But so, I just I can relate to what you're saying. I I saw Chuck Berry play on stage, and ambulance had to come and pick him up. He tuned. That was his- the one. That's right. That was the one he fell off the stage. Congress in 2011. He didn't fall off the stage unless that's the, oh, that was the story. It was Congress. That's right. I remember. I didn't know you were at that show. That's, Did, that's were you crazy. at that show? No, no. But I knew. I knew that that happened. Yeah. Yeah, dude. He fucking tuned his guitar for like literally an hour. And I mean, you know, his whole thing used to be that he would take like musicians from the area and they would just come and learn his songs. But like he would just yell out whatever songs he wanted to do, and then they would just kind of like have to like cobble it together so it was already just like a little like week or whatever the best thing at the end of it is like he came out from the ambulance and he's like my doctors had told me it was okay to come out and do the walk so i'm going to do the walk for it and then he duck walked off the fucking stage same thing happened when i saw jerry lee lewis rest in peace by the way um he, he fucking played like four songs lightning fast they were actually pretty amazing and at the end he gets up (laughs) and goes like this it takes him like four tries and he finally kicks over the his fucking piano chair and then he walks (laughs) off the stage and it was you know these are the stories i got to tell about these legends you know so like maybe it's best you didn't see some some people that you know right couldn't perform it you know the best way and the cure being at the top of their game sounds fantastic for you since you're just a big fan you know oh yeah i mean yeah and and so i mean i mean smith is i don't know maybe early 60s he's not that old or anything but it's 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 so he's still certainly they're all physically uh fine on stage and everything by far but like sonically it's just what how they sound um really every time i've seen them since the first time i saw them it was like 2005 i think um they're just he's you know because a little bit different um he really hasn't put out too much new music i mean their last album was 2008 and before that was 2004 and before that was 2000. So they really only put, he's only put out like three albums um, in the last 23 years, all of them 
before 2008. Uh, I think they he finally started recording and they do have a new album that they have. They do have some new songs that I've seen that they've been performing um, for the first time ever. Um, and I've been following all the track listing. There's a couple songs that they uh, played uh, for the first time since like 1987. I saw it's like Six Different Ways, which is a great song off of uh, Head on the Door. Um, they just haven't performed that at all since uh, 1987. So I'm excited for that. And like I just said, like sonically, it's like you can look at uh, recent um, videos of them or anything, like even at the um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's like they just sound so well. And that's kind of, I can, from what I can tell, that's where Smith has like kept his head in the last 20 years. Not necessarily recording new music, but just focusing on his, the strength of his performance. Yeah, that's uh, a, so. that's an interesting place to be. You know, he knows people are going to come to the show. They're pretty legendary at this point. So like, let's give them a good time. And I mean, the thing it's like the cure. I, I honestly do think they will only increase in um importance over time they've already been kind of one of the most important bands in alternative for many decades now but i think seeing their lasting uh influence coupled with the fact that their music ages so fucking well it's like i was listening to pornography which is their 1982 album the other day i mean you could honestly go to like Logan Square or Wicker Park uh, this weekend and like half the bands playing are still trying to sound like pornography. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that album came out over 40 years ago now. It's like, it just sounds that fresh. It's almost like, I mean, the best age album of all time is um, Velvet Underground and Nico. It's like, you listen to that album, it's from like uh, 67. Like it just, it still sounds that fresh. And that's, you know, it's like, it's, it's one thing to make amazing music, but it's a whole another thing that, is out of your control to make music that still sounds good like 30 40 50 years later you know and not just good but also like influential like i mean some of the some of the best shit is like that's been going around um lately is people being like write something you know the old kurt vonnegut thing you know that he wrote to the classroom before he died like write something doesn't matter what it is and the whole purpose of it is to like tear it up and throw it away, you know, mm-hmm. or then there's people being like, go ahead and like, you know, write something um, or, or that you're going to a piece of music, record it for yourself and then immediately throw it away. Because once you do that and you realize that there's no care in the world about people liking it or people, you know, wanting to make money off of it or whatever, you're going to like make something authentically good and authentically true. Um so maybe there, there's something to that, you know? Yeah. I mean, even if you could control it, it becomes something you can't control because it becomes uh, a, a piece of art, the relationship to whoever's experiencing it. It becomes like this whole other thing that's like you've set it out in the world. It's like you, it doesn't matter what you want it to be. It, it becomes something else. Uh, right. Like the relationship with the listener or the reader or the viewer or whatever. So, hmm. so much good stuff. They played three yeah. hours the other night. I saw that. So there's the show length uh, is definitely uh, making a mockery of Morrissey, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how long? How long was the show? Sorry that you went to not to I put mean, you through that. Trauma. I think he played five or six songs. Uh, I think he or maybe maybe one more, but it was fucking cold. I, I think that's why I left. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. What is? Um, I haven't heard it. He had a new album out recently, yeah? 
Is this the tour for one? Mm-mm. Morrissey? Yeah. I mean, uh, he's... Oh, dude. This is, this is constantly, uh, you know, he put out a... He had he was supposed to put out a bunch of records with Capital and sign a deal here with Capital oh. LA. And then like there was a song that Miley Cyrus sang on with him, I guess. And like then she backed off and said, I want all of my like vocals stripped off of that. Um I don't know any of this. I just and, thought yeah. he had he had a new record out. I guess and, no. Um and then the next thing after that was like uh Capital and him are having problems and then he rips them on his website. Like most Morrissey fans know like to get everything straight from the source, like you check the Morrissey website every day to see like what he's gonna write. Like when Andy Rourke from the Smiths died a couple days ago and I was like, Okay, I need to know what Morrissey's gotta say about this, you know. And uh of course like he writes something on there about that. So yeah, it's a little weird. I don't know. He's got records I've I I've heard he's got at least one if not multiple records completely finished and he's constantly like until somebody like ponies up and does this and puts it out on my terms the public will never hear it kind of thing yeah well it looks like i mean he looks like he had a single out last year yeah that that was when he was playing and i saw him actually perform that Uh, he released that i think like in spite of capitol records last year because that's supposed to be on the new record there's a 2020 album. I'm not a dog in a chain. I almost wore that shirt today. <laughs> I gotta one? admit, I don't really love that record. But okay. I love the shirt that I got. But that's that's new material, though, right? That no, that album? one was like a series of covers, actually. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I guess I'll have to listen to some of these other ones. Uh, but to be Sun to be fair, I've seen. Well, sorry, go ahead. California Sun in 2019. I'm sorry, California Sun is the one that is the the um covers record. Okay. Uh Dog and a, I'm not a Dog and a Chain is the originals, but it's like I said, it's not one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah, but I mean these are still only a couple years old. So it's relatively new for for an artist that's been around for so Yeah, uh, 2017's record that he put out uh Axe the Monarchy is very good. I really like that record. Oh yeah. Love it. Um, and then I also have a help, the Halloween, which is on our list. Uh, Halloween and Hammerfall. I got that show coming up this week. So God damn. For that. Yeah. So what's your pick of the week for music? Um, okay. So I'm on my third, in my adult life, on my third wave of uh, Frank Zappa appreciation. It's taken me three kind of pushes since... Uh, I first heard my first step uh, record when I was like 19 or 20. Um, your experience with Zappa? I mean, I, I, we talked, we, the text. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's what you're, it, the text you gave me almost sounded like, like I know Zappa, but I don't want to listen to him. <laughs> like, no, I uh, yeah. That's, that's the problem with technology. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. literally that I know nothing about gotcha. him. So you just haven't listened to him. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, that's, I mean, that's certainly understandable. It's like he is, he is more of a composer than anything, but his influence on rock and roll is just like even more than I understood. So Zappa, uh, there's a documentary um, that came out in 2020. Um, it's directed by Alex Winter. He played uh, Bill from Bill and Ted and Lost Boys. Uh, great documentary. And it just really shows an overview of his life and influence on music. And I mean, he was a huge influence on both the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. I mean, like all their 
more like kind of drug tripped out phases. They were like, they both explicitly were like, we're trying to sound like the mother's invention in Zappa and what uh, they were doing at the time in the, in the late sixties. Um, and so he is, he does have a lot of like, he's resisted like commercial um, fame. He did, he, he resisted in his entire life. So he made a lot of music that was, uh, explicitly not anything that you would really hear on the radio because it just it was it sounded like it was like from the movies like no traditional choruses um it's just stuff that wasn't uh, really that marketable and so that's why he was such a prominent figure amongst music but like you know never was like a top selling artist at all so and and again it is kind of like long form progressive compositions. And so that's why it's, it's taken me like multiple pushes uh, to kind of really get into them. But like this third wave in the last couple of years, since that documentary, I've kind of gone through his um, catalog again. And I mean, it, the talent is fucking there. I mean, if anything, just as a fucking guitar player and compositionist, like the genius is like so apparent. And I think his music is just kind of like continue to live on. So I definitely recommend checking out that documentary, especially if you've never heard about him. Uh, or know too much about him because it just gives so much uh, background and it really covers his 80s where he got really engaged in um, freedom of artistic expression because like you know, it was a time when like politicians were trying to like censor art left and right and like, just like what they could do what they could say what was uh, there's a there's a ramon song the only knowledge i have of zappa is uh in a ramon song called censor Shit. <laughs> and nice. Jerry Ramone that sounds sing- like a that sounds like a Zappa title. Actually. Well, Jerry Ramone sings the line: "Ask Ozzy Zappa or me, we'll show you what it's like to be free." And he's talking about Tipper Gore in it. He's like, "Ah, yeah. Tipper, come on! You're just this is just a smokescreen for the real problem. Ask yeah. Ozzy Zappa or me, we'll show you what it's like to be free." Anyway, I, th- I know what you're talking about, just specifically through the Ramones, yeah, via Zappa. So I mean. Freedom of artistic expression is like the thing I hold high, hold higher than anything else. It's like it's, it's by far just like what uh, is most important to me for um, for the world I want to live in personally. And so his commitment to that uh, was pretty deep. And so he 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 followed that his entire life. Uh, he passed away in the mid nineties, cancer, but he put out you know over a hundred albums, some of those live, but like he was just like, he was constantly working his entire life. Um, some more approachable than others. Joe's Garage was an album, his first album I ever heard. Um, and Hot Rats is another one. And the, the song I'm picking today is called Willie the Pimp uh, from Frank Sapp on Hot Rats is from 1969. So it's one of his earlier solo albums after um, uh, Mother's Invention. It's uh, it's a nine minute song, long form, kind of progressive rock, uh, a lot of jam aspects to it. Um, if you like King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, I think uh, Zappa would be one that uh, I think a lot of people, if you're listening to King Gizzard, you're probably familiar with Zappa, but like uh, for anybody listening, um, it, there's definitely a, a good connection there with the long form, uh, fucking awesome uh, progressive rock style that they do. So. Um, yeah, Willie the Pimp, great song, great album, and um, 
Yeah, I'd love to. I'll send you uh, a, a little list, a uh, collection of uh, good intro to Zappa. Uh, yeah, I'm, check it out, so. I'm interested in like having my first uh, Zappa experience via your song pick here. So I'll have to listen to it on the. Uh... I mean, it's taken, like I said, it's taken me years to like fully like appreciate like most mm. of his work. Cause most, it, great, most great artists are that way, you know, yeah, it takes a while to get into them. He is, um, I mean, you know, kind of, it's not that like. The Ramones, you know, personally, one of my they're one of my favorite like rock and roll bands of all time. But like the structure of the song, it's 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 almost like on a different level, uh, just in terms of like how the Ramones perfected like the two and a half three minute song, whereas Frank Zappa was creating like ten to fifteen minute compositions that required just like a whole different type of listening style. So, wow. Um. Okay. For, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe we'll get into that uh, documentary too. Speaking of Alex Winter, I'm going to see Lost Boys. Oh, hell yeah. Cinespia opened up its uh, cemetery screenings for July, June and July. And then also they're doing a couple of different parks and they're doing one in uh, Griffith Park. So my girlfriend and I are going to walk to that. It's a like a picnic style screening of Lost Boys. And I saw Alex Winter commented on that, so I'm hoping he shows up. Um, nice. That's, I think, this weekend already. Um, and then we're going to see Pee-wee's Big Adventure at the cemetery, forever, with fireworks, 4th of July weekend, and I'm so fucking pumped about that. Um, my pick, it's completely different than yours. Uh that's the beauty of it. And you're not going to believe this, <laughs> that it's coming sure. out of my mouth. But I've really loved this song, and I found out a lot about it as, like, uh, I've been listening to it. First saw it, my girlfriend had sent me, this is, like, my favorite performance of the year. And I was like, oh, what is this? And she's fucking Jonas Brothers. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, man, you know, like, what the fuck? But she's the one who introduced me to Orville Peck. You know, she sent me the Orville Peck like uh, song last year, and I was like, I love this fucking guy, you know? So I listen. It's a song called Walls, but I listened to it first on Saturday Night Live. Um, and you could see them performing it. It's fucking awesome, man. Um, I would say to anybody listening to this now, uh, go listen to the song second but go watch the performance on Saturday Night Live first if you hadn't seen it. Um, Walls by the Jonas Brothers, and I guess it's with John Bellion. Do you know anything about John Bellion? Mm, it's not ringing a bell. He um, is like a uh, singer, songwriter, kind of influenced by like Death Cab stuff. Like one of the first guys that was like influenced by a lot of stuff that was like hip hop and like emo kind of together. Um, I saw him at Bottom Lounge in 2014, I believe, right before he blew up. Mm-hmm. And it was a record that I loved of his. Um, and it looks like he may have had like a hand in working with the Jonas Brothers on this new record. And so like as I was talking with my girlfriend, she's like, yeah, like a lot of people are talking like John Bellion's all over this. And like when you hear the song, if you know anything about John Bellion, it does sound a lot like a John Bellion song. Um, anyway. There's only like one thing I don't love about the song, and it's John Bellion's part, and it's kind of like this weird like scatting that's happening in the in the, it's 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 it's, it's kind of fresh, but at the same time it's kind of like, 
Um, I'd rather do without it. Uh, it's like a production thing. I'd rather that he wasn't doing, but the song still shines through all of that. And it's really a really, really good song. Um, and I think the other thing my girlfriend and I were talking about is like, Oh, I didn't know that like that, that main Jonas Joe could sing that way. Like he's really singing his ass off in the song. So that's my pick walls by the Jonas brothers. <laughs> So I know I'm, I'm laughing I because it's crazy. Yeah, I wasn't gonna laugh at you, but you you had to finish it up <laughs> by laughing at yourself. So um, I don't know if I've ever. I know the Jonas Brothers exist. That's about the extent of, and I know they had a good uh, South Park episode. I probably couldn't tell you one song. Uh, I mean, same. Same. That's the thing is like my girlfriend sending me that. I was blown away by the performance uh, more than anything, which made me like the song, which is kind of like the way it happened with me seeing the Ramones. I didn't like the songs until I saw them play it live. And I was like, oh, OK. You had a phase where you didn't like the Ramones? One in dude, believe it or not, I got a ticket to the Ramones. Uh, my brother and his older friend were like, come see it. And I listened to the songs and I was like, this is fucking terrible. I, I remember thinking like, this is garbage. I was into Nirvana, you know, like it was it just didn't compute. I was into grunge and stuff back then. And then I saw the Ramones and the lights were off and everybody's going, Hey, ho, let's go. And you know, the lights were on and all their amps and then the lights come up and it's like, what the fuck? It changed my life forever, but I had to see it live for me to really get it. So you were basically Nate in Six Feet Under when he's crying over Kurt, and then somebody blares Ramones, and he's like, "Oh, right, I got this new." Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Nate Fisher, goddamn. Uh, when the fuck are we gonna cover that? I mean, we gotta yeah, cover. Talk about it every week. I don't know. We got to. We gotta get into it. One of the greatest characters of all time, Nate. Uh, talk about a spiritual uh, leader. So. Yeah. Um, all right. Awesome. I saw. Saw your uh, the gem pop video saw in half. Uh, yeah, great performance, fantastic. Thank you. You're creeping up the stage with uh, charisma, and it was fantastic. Love it. <laughs> it was nice that she uh, asked me to do that because I was like, yeah, why, why not? You know. But when uh, when I saw it come back, I was actually kind of like, wow, like, you know, like you're in it a lot. I mean, you're uh, featured yeah. in it like quite a bit. It's, it's great. Yeah, yeah, and the song the song's great. Um, yeah, you guys did a fucking killer job. So. Yeah, dude, she she rules. She's such a she's such a great um, personality. He's like real fun, and uh, I really enjoyed putting that together. Thanks for watching it. I saw uh, it was probably because of my algorithm on my YouTube, but um, when I first was uh, uh, seeing her videos, uh, her cover of uh, Rocky Erickson's song came up. Uh, yeah, I think of demons, which is. I almost picked that song as my Rocky uh, pick, like uh, from a couple months ago, because it's it's one of my favorite songs by him. So I was like, all right, she's got the good vibe, good taste in music too. So. I've been meaning to tell her that, like my uh, you know podcast partner slash best friend here, Pat, is um, a big uh, Rocky Erickson fan, and um, hell yeah, Are we I'm, got going, I'm going to when I see her because I, yeah, she obviously must be a fan if she picked that song. It's I, I think that's pretty. It's, Obscure. Such a great fucking song. Yeah, that uh, that documentary that we've mentioned a couple of times. We have to cover it at one day because that's uh, such a great introduction to him and his story. Which is, I mean, his music is amazing, but his his personal life story is just talk about uh, somebody you got influence. to see before they passed away too. That's pretty amazing. 
And yeah, that was a couple times with the empty bottle. Man, he's, he, I mean, he was showing his age, but he was definitely engaged with him because he was playing with a lot of like, um, um, Okerville River is a band that he he made an album with, uh, an entire out new album with them as his backing band, and so he had he just had a lot of good support, and I know his son played with them uh, the last couple of tours. So, and and also venues make a big deal if you get to see uh, somebody at the Empty Bottle. It's it's a whole different uh, experience than uh, sitting. Uh, a mile away at the United States. Dude, I don't know if you saw that Chicago painting that I put together and it had like all the different things I wrote about Chicago in there. Oh, yeah. Um, it since sold, which is amazing. Um, oh, but yeah. the, um, empty bottles on there, but somebody called me out on online. He's like, what? No empty bottle. So I took a picture of it and I was like, nope, it's on there. Like people love that venue. It's, you know, it is, it's, it's a very Chicago venue. I mean, the program is great. Um, yeah, Any other thoughts? I just got one quick meme that I want to bring up. I saw a meme that pointed out, and you need to confirm this is true because I still didn't finish watching it, but it pointed out that Air, the movie with Ben Affleck, uh, was using the music when they unveiled the shoe at the end. It's the same music uh, from Body Double whenever he's looking at uh, through the uh, uh, binoculars. It's kind of got that tingly music. Somebody pointed out, I was like, you know air's good when they're using the music from Body Double. Dude, I didn't catch it. Did I didn't catch, catch it. it. I know no, it's a like Now that you say detail. it, I can kind of think it's, it's a super it did small happen, detail, I but like, I think we talked about both those movies on the same week, actually, so that's why it was like such a, a, a revelation. For I think it was released on Amazon Prime, by the way, so you could probably watch it. I'm gonna go check the musical and watch the rest of the movie right now because yeah, because that music is so fucking weird and great that they use when he's just watching uh, the women and it's got that kind of like uh, Affleck is music. Affleck is stealing from Tarantino, who basically steals all of the music from De Palma movies <laughs> anyway. So, so, you know. That's the lineage between us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to tell you, Pat, if you haven't noticed um, on our YouTube channel, people have been commenting on stuff, um, especially somebody I don't really know, but had some great, important, I thought, um, points that had to do with, like, um, what's the lead character? I forget now for some reason. Um, the lead character in... Uh, drag me to hell's name. Uh, Allison Loman. Yeah, Allison Loman's character. They're 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 talking about how she's actually the real evil person in that, and it's 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 really good, like really good stuff. So take a look at the um, comments uh, section. I of feel the, like I've know. heard that pointed out. Uh, I've never the last time we watched it, that it, it, it certainly wasn't like on the front of my mind. But I feel yeah, like we I don't think we covered it. That no, I feel like that is something I've heard where there's a whole way to watch that movie where she's, I mean, she's a mortgage lender working for a giant bank. So <laughs> that's not that hard. I can see how that uh, is the, the beginning of the through line for that character. Well, so. I mean, there are some of the points that, that this person was making was about like, she didn't need to kill the fucking cat, you know, but like she did. And so anyway, <laughs> check out check out the comments and 
I mean, that's great. I mean, this is I mean, this is what we fucking love. This is why we have a podcast recreating the video story because we could t- be talking about this all day. So uh, anybody, uh, feel free to comment because we'll definitely uh, love to engage with that. So Totally. And then we'll see you back here next time for another film to open my eyes to what I've been missing all along. Thanks, Pat, for giving <laughs> us this great recommendation today. Um, if you have not seen uh, this film... Definitely recommended uh, in the words of our favorite critics, two thumbs up from both Pat and myself.